You'll hear it, listeners. What's going on? This is Caleb. You'll hear it, producer guy. And today I'm going to take you deep into the vault of 2019, where Adam and Peter were talking about some really interesting ways of using the bebop scale. So without further ado, please stay tuned. Sorry? That's bebop, baby. Hey. I'm Adam Ennis. And I'm Peter Martin. And you're listening to the You'll Hear It Podcast. Daily jazz advice coming at you. Coming at me is a bunch of bebop shouting. Well, I, I, like, to call that, I like to call that bebop singing, but nope. thank you. Uh, because we're talking about the bebop scale today, because we have a question from one of our, our lovely listeners. And so I was just getting in the mood, baby. Lovely listeners. This is from Lovely Elias. All right. Uh, yeah, let's hear it. Hey, Peter and Adam, it's Elias. I have a question for you guys about bebop scales. How important are bebop scales to practicing, you know, and the principle of lining up the chord tones with the strong beats of the bar? Uh, it's not something that Peter stresses a whole lot in the jazz piano method. It comes up in the elementary, the elements of jazz piano course. But um, when I do transcription of like great players, it's not always the case that the, the, the strong beats of the bar are lining up with the chord tones of the change. And for me, at least, it's like way too much to try to keep in mind when I'm improvising. So I'm just curious, like how important is this? It seems to be like a really important uh, principle of jazz pedagogy these days. But uh, it doesn't seem to bear out in practice. Um, anyway, just kind of curious about this, like this issue of bebop scales. How important are they to you? Uh, loving the the podcast so far. Seven stars all the way. Thanks. Great. Yes. Thank yeah. you so much, Elias. And I love that he's like, I'm loving it so far. Like he, <laughs> that's good. Keep us on our toes. He can man. turn it any he minute. Can turn it any minute. <laughs> um, I li- and I like he's kind of bringing up a little bit of controversy there in in that there might be some discrepancies in our. Um, in in general in the jazz world in our uh, you know hitherto hitherto um you know jazz theory being uh kind of soundproof in saying that there's that discrepancy between the actual practice and the usage and the application of this sort of concept you but know this is true for almost all jazz theory and i think bebop quote unquote bebop scales are another one of these things that i don't think is like super uh universal yeah especially not for real players well i love how you're all you you immediately threw shade on just the concept by saying quote unquote before you even said it what do you mean by that so you know like a lot of things the deeper that i've gotten into this and the the more i've tried to explain it for our purposes here at open studio it's kind of evolved on me a little bit and and i i've talked to some other people i had a great conversation with uh our friend john ellis great tenor sax oh yeah and North he, Carolina, he, he big shout out. brought up bebop scales and he's like, what is that? <laughs> and I, like, he's like, I just don't think about things like that. He's like, I think about using chromaticism to line up, you know, a phrase I'm trying to line up or, or to get anywhere. But that chromaticism can happen anywhere. It doesn't yeah. have to be at some specif- specified place. And I think, you know, the way we've done it, the, the course he was referring to, Elements of Jazz Piano, which is yeah. our intermediate course. And we just kind of, in, we're trying to introduce that concept of a chromatic note in between to make it an eight note, uh, turn a seven note scale into an eight note scale because it does happen to line up. I don't think it's crucial that it always lines up, but it's just another tool that you can use, this chromaticism. And it could really be between any tones. It doesn't have to be between, you know, the, the root and then the, you know, dominant seven or the five and the six, like in the Barry Harris six dimension 
diminished scale, which is some people call the major bebop scale, right? Like yeah. it can be between the root and the two or the two and the three. In fact, that sounds awesome. It can be really anywhere you want it to be. And it could be however many chromatic steps you want it to be. It's whatever you're hearing is more important than any theory that anybody tells you. Yeah. And when I like you use the word tool and I just realized maybe we can uh, sort of frame this as like, how do we use this tool of the bebop scale? but not in a way that we end up sounding like a tool on our instrument. I knew you were going to go there. Did as you know that? As I said the word tool, I was like, he's going to bring this back. No, but that's kinda... but, but that's funny and witty as, as often I am, but it's also, I think, yeah, yeah. no, no but, but like the whole thing of like, <laughs> we don't, you don't sit around with good players like John Ellis and talk about, man, I'm going to use the bebop scale on this. And so there is a little bit of shade from the standpoint that I think with, with good players and how we use this, yeah, we use the bebop scale, but not in the kind of acknowledged way that you would talk about the Dorian or the altered scale or, I mean, look, we don't sit around and talk about any of these scales in terms of, I'm going to use them here, but we do try to explain the application of them, you know, successful situations to use them. Certainly from a technical standpoint, like how do we master these scales so that we can draw upon the segments of them that we want to at the appropriate time. Yeah. But I think the bebop scale for me, it's like, I didn't really know what a bebop scale was until I knew almost every other scale for some reason. I don't. I don't know why it just wasn't introduced to me. I was playing parts of it, mm-hmm. which is you know the foundation of it just being. Well, that's actually playing yeah, the actually, entire we scale. Should define <laughs> what a bebop scale is for people who are kind of in the dark. So yeah, traditionally, yeah. as it's been taught uh, by jazz theorists, <laughs> the bebop scale is a mixolydian scale yeah. with a half step put in between the seventh degree and the octave. So if we're in, let's say C. There's that right. little chromatic passage. Oh, Kranich and Bach is in poor shape. It is. It's stuck in the pod cave. And so the Whoa. reason why people say this is good is because then on the, on the beat you get C, E, G, B flat, C. Is that good though? Is that I mean, it's kind of good. Well, here's the other, the second part of Elias's question here is that like, isn't it fine for the ninth to land on the beat? Exactly. Like, it sounds great. Yeah. Or the 13th also sounds very, very good. Yeah. In fact, most good musicians could have the fourth land on the beat and it sounds just fine and it's not a problem. I think this has been part of sort of the institutional, institutional, institutional institutionalization. Let me try this again. Institutionalization yeah. of this music, of, yeah. of trying to find some kind of explanation for things, sounds that, you know, greats in the past have have. Invented. Well, I think it's interesting that you even described it as you did as, as a dominant scale with the major seventh, because I've always thought about this as a major, and this just shows how unimportant either way is, as a major scale with a dominant seventh. There you go. Which obviously equals the same thing. Yeah. But um, I think that the application of this is, is, is very different than other scales. It's not really a real scale. That's the first thing. Yeah. It's, it's a major scale or dominant scale, however we want to look at yeah, it, no with uses, a passing tone. No one uses this as a mode for anything. Yeah. Where you build chords off yeah. it or anything. It's not like, oh man, when I get to the C7, I love to use the bebop scale. It's more of a melodic sort of technique, I would say, with a passing of a passing tone. And in that regard, so back to sort of uh, Jay Boogie's point, yeah, you, that that chromatic passing tone can yeah. go anywhere. Yeah, you know. So instead of you can put it between the fifth and the sixth, or yep. between the second and the third. Or the first and the second, right? For that matter, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. It's just chromatic passing tone. Yeah. And wherever you are, if you want to land on a G, use as many chromatic 
passing tones as you feel is appropriate to get there. Yeah. Now, I do think that there's an interesting part uh, that Elias hit upon in terms of the timing and the number of notes in the scale. Like, and and the the other scale that comes to mind is the diminished scale because that's an octatonic scale as well, eight notes in it, mm. uh, but it's a real scale, unlike the bebop scale. Damn. No, but I mean, the thing about the timing of it is like when it really gets interesting. Um, in, in fact, I'm trying to think if I would ever play just a straight bebop scale, like almost any other scale, I might play that as part of a solo phrase. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's going to be tough to, to kind of like one, two, three, four. Three. I mean, that's 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 you're getting into cornball category. But if you think about the timing of it as actually the, the offbeats being um as opposed to starting on the one, starting on the upbeats. One, two, three, four. I mean, even that, it's not great, right? No. Yeah, you're not smiling either. The only right? thing I ever <laughs> use it for is is on a couple of keys that, like, I can rip off these little four-note things yeah. really fast. You know, yeah. That's all I've ever used it for is when I think about it like that. I know. And even if I play stuff like, you know... Which kind of has the... Man, why, everything sounds corny on this piano. Why is that? Granik and Bach. Okay, it's sorry. falling apart on it. It's falling apart. <laughs> like that's all the notes of the C uh, a bebop scale. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking of that more as like almost like an implied G minor over the C7, and it's like a major third to minor third, a blues thing. Yeah. You know, like a passing around there. So it's, I don't know. So the sixth diminished scale, right? Barry Harris's quote unquote sixth diminished scale, sometimes yeah. called the major bebop scale, that actually is a scale. Okay. That you can build chords off of, and we talked Which one about is that. This I don't even know that one. Do I know that? It has the chromatic oh, yeah, step yeah. between the fifth and the sixth. Yeah. And so, if you skip a note on that scale, you get a major six chord, right. and then you move that up, you get a diminished chord. Are we about to drop some twos? We've gone over this several times, so I don't need to go over that. But that actually is something that you can build harmony off of. You can build um, obviously melodies off of. But there's a whole system to that. The other chromatic. Um, the other scales that you would put this chromatic passing tone in, not so much. I mean, yeah. it just doesn't isn't as logical. I'm sure you could do it and figure that out for yourself, but uh, it's not something that's used quite often in that in that regard. And then again, any note, a good player can make any note land anywhere and yep. make it sound fine. Yep. I think I think band directors mostly use this bebop scale to try to get their players from, you know, starting their solo like, um, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> to try to get them on some stronger. Well, depending on where you resolve it, that could be okay. I mean, it didn't start well, great though. <laughs> well, we would know how to do that, but right, like a, right. a fifteen-year-old alto saxophonist right. who's already fifty cents flat. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and I think too, it's like it, it really—you hit on this a little bit earlier in talking about the chromatic passing tone can be anywhere. But if you look at, especially from the basic standpoint, like like how does a high school saxophone player, you know, over to C seven, it's like. Once they get that dominant arpeggio, then they're like confident, but they don't leave that at all. But the same way that the minor third to the major third, when you're when you're when you don't have a lot of harmonic ingenuity or just knowledge or experience, the minor third and major third can be one of the like introducing that element can be great. And the same thing with this major seventh, yeah, which is sort of what makes the bebop scale, you know, so still basic saxophone high school player, but they're getting a, starting to get a little bit of personality, you know. 
you know, with some hip rhythms, there's you, you look like there's no hope anyway, still, right? Well, yeah. I, did, I mean, your impression of a basic high school player is so accurate that it's a little scary. Like, you have that sound down. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's a re- new record in your future. Well, we'll see. Called basic high school player, <laughs> Peter Martin. No, I'm going to so, be on saxophone, so I'm going to actually sound like that, too. That's the great thing. Elias, I think the answer to your question is it's not really that important. Yeah. And that... that you know, great players don't think about it that way yeah. really at all. And whenever I've taught just from a piano standpoint, like the important scales or really from jazz improvisation, um, you know, we have that as an element to our program, but it's very de-emphasized as Elias saw uh, because it's just, I mean, because we, we focus so much on even in elements of jazz piano on a chromatic scale, almost pushing it in before most people would introduce it. Yeah. But that brings this element of the bebop scale out. And we talk about timing of phrases right. exactly. and accenting and, and stuff. And that's the real thing that I think most players have is this ability to add chromatic passages to their playing to make them not land on, quote unquote, the strong notes, but the notes that they're hearing that yeah. they want to land on. Now, I do think, now I'm just remembering back to like some applications of this that for a basic player can really be helpful, especially if you start at the top and, and go down on a bebop scale, you can start to get, you know, kind of this thing of timing out of the notes that's sort of interesting. One, two, three, four. At least hearing the difference between that Are and you going back one, on everything we just yeah. said? But I like that too because you're ending on the upbeat. There's you know nothing I mean? wrong with either but, one. But I'm just saying you can hear the difference that way. So you could take the major scale, the dominant scale, and the bebop scale and come down in time, bebop, starting on the one, just basic eighth notes. Like that, that is important to kind of, nah, maybe not. I don't think it's well, important. Well, you can try it. I'm, I'm reaching, man. Because I mean, we're getting towards the end of the episode, man. I'm trying to give him something here. Well, I hope this does answer a little <laughs> bit. Maybe, maybe Andrew, cut off that last like 25 seconds. <laughs> no, 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 no. No. Well, Elias, so we hope this uh, answers your question a little bit. Yep. You know, uh, notice Elias gave us seven stars. Did you hear that? Uh, he did. And we didn't ask. Well, we did ask for that. But uh, just a reminder that that's a thing we ask for. It's a thing that we ask for. And it's a thing that we get a lot of. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We, we don't get. You can't. Get everything you want, as the song says. But it turns out with this, wow. yeah, yeah, this with this. Wow, Peter showing off his Rolling Stones. Come on now, come or on. Lack now. thereof. Actually, just a big shout out to um, <laughs> Tim. How did that go again? No, I just saw their their saxophonist Tim Tim Reese, great saxophonist in New York. I just saw him at a gig talking about the Rolling Stones. Oh, cool. Yeah, wonderful saxophonist, jazz saxophonist, but plays with Rolling Stones. Okay, so Can't get everything that you want. I think that's what you said, Andrew. <laughs> oh yeah, I think that's it. I think I screwed up the words of that. You a little might bit. have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, this is, I, I, uh, I pronated them. I, I, I transposed them is what I was doing. Okay. So today we're going to just, since you brought up the seven stars, uh, we did get a nice review from screaming Jimmy from, from, from <laughs> the United States of America. Who? What's up, Jimmy? No, but he said, uh, five stars. Uh, I know, you know, seven, whatever. Uh, this is a great podcast. I just found this online. And after one podcast, I'm, I am hooked. Great job, guys. I'm that's sending good. my students to your site. Keep it up very much. That's how we do it. it. Give it away for free. Yeah, that's then, right. When you come back, it's still free. They, but Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I like that he, he must have got the right, the right one episode that he's hooked, you know. Yeah, some there's of these only one good one. Yeah, yeah. But you <laughs> we'll know, we're going to you to figure out which one that is. <laughs> we've been getting some people complaining that we're talking about the stars too much. And we don't really care about that because we love the Nobody's stars. Nobody's complaining about yeah. that except our one friend. We've gotten a couple. But I want you, you had, can, while I'm kind of riffing here, can you pull up that negative YouTube comment? Because we want to start balancing our positive kind you know, we're always talking about the positive reviews and we generally get those but we are getting a little bit of shade on youtube and the one that you had a, and i want you to give them your answer to it as well oh okay yeah we yeah. got that shade of i wish you guys would chill a little bit on the quote-unquote humorous banter 
so much filler, it's a little bit cringe. And then I responded, and I don't always respond to negative YouTube comments, although it is a fun pastime. Yeah, if you, lately you've started to, though. It is fun. Speaking of cringing. <laughs> because I responded, sorry, cringe filler is a crucial part of our sound. And that is true. Boom. You know what Fist I mean? Fist bump, yep. If we didn't have cringe filler, this podcast would be about 35 seconds long. And look, just to know for the listeners and for the viewers and the users, um, we're cringing just as much as you are, okay? So it's a mutual <laughs> thing. Don't feel like we're only causing you to cringe. No, but we really appreciate all the feedback, positive and negative, and we, we love all the positive on the on the, uh, on the podcast channels. So you can um, you know hit us up. Just give us a comment. Leave us a review, whatever you're feeling, wherever you listen to this podcast or on YouTube, if that's where you are. Give us a little like and follow. Turn on notifications. You know about that? Ring. Put the bell on. Put the bell on. Put the bell on. I don't have my bell on for anything. That stuff. I have no notifications. But I want you guys to do it. Yeah, I love it. Ring our bell. That's right. Uh, well, till tomorrow. <laughs>